16 through 40. So strap in. <clears throat> there we go. So we're in Philippi at this point in our second missionary journey. And also, if you need a handout, there should be some more on the table back there in the back as well. If you need a handout here this morning. <clears throat> so let's read, let's read Acts chapter 16, 16, verse 16 through 40. Here we go. Once as, they were on, as we were on our way to prayer, a slave girl met us who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She made a large profit for her owners by fortune-telling. As she followed Paul and us, she cried out, These men who are proclaiming to you a way of salvation are the servants of the Most High God. She did this, did this for many days. Paul was greatly annoyed. Turning to the Spirit, he said, I commend you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out right away. When her owners realized that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the, to the authorities. Bringing them before the chief magist magistrates, they said, These men are seriously disturbing our city. They are Jews and are promoting customs that are not legal for us as Romans to adopt or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against them, and the chief magistrates stripped off their clothes and ordered them to be beaten with rods. After they had severely flogged them, they threw them into jail, ordering the jailer to guard them carefully. <clears throat> Receiving such an order, he put them into the inter inner prison and secured their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. <clears throat> Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the jail were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains came loose. When the jailer woke up and saw the doors of the prison standing open, he drew his sword and was going to kill himself since he thought the prisoners had escaped. <clears throat> but Paul called out in a loud voice, Don't harm yourself because we're, we're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. He escorted them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him along with everyone in his house. He took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. Right away, he and all his family were baptized. He brought them into his house and set a meal before them and rejoiced because he had come to believe in God with his whole entire household. When daylight came, the chief magistrate sent the police to say, Release those men. The jailer reported these words to Paul. Oh, the magistrates have sent orders for you to be released. So come now, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They beat us in public without trial, although we are Roman citizens, and threw us in jail. And now they're going to send us away secretly? Psh, certainly not. On the contrary, let them come themselves and escort us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates. They were afraid when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. So they came to appease them and escorted them from prison. They urged them to leave town. After leaving the jail, though, they came to Lydia's house, where they saw and encouraged the brothers and sisters and departed. 
Lord Jesus, we are thankful and grateful for your word among us here this morning. And I just pray, Lord, this morning that you would open up my mouth to speak your words, speak your truth and encourage us, build us up in love here this morning, that we may leave stronger and closer with you and with one another. We love you, Lord Jesus, and we thank you for your presence here this morning. And God, just, we love you. Amen. You may be seated. <laughs> so, the, the title of our series, so we're going to be starting a four-week series this morning uh, entitled, From Prison with Love. <laughs> From Prison with Love. This is part one. This is uh, Hope of Healing is going to be the title of this one. I didn't replace the slide. But uh, Hope of Healing is part one, as you probably see in your, in your thing there. And so this is going to be a four-week series. So we're going to actually read this same passage, 16 to 40, all four weeks of the month. Kind of like we did with Acts chapter 2 last year, where we, we saw and looked at the, at the story of the, uh, the narrative of the, um, what's it called, the, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit of, at Pentecost, uh, called this, um, for four weeks in, in, in the book of, in the, in the season of Christmas. Looking at that same story from the, from the perspective of hope, of of joy, of peace, and of love. And so this first, this first Sunday, we're going to break it down in the four sections, but I felt like we needed to see the whole narrative so we could get a picture of the whole thing in one view, in one sitting, and just to keep reminding ourselves of the whole narrative so we could see the whole thing. Instead of like trying to compartmentalize and like really just focus on one section, one section, one section, one section, and not getting the bigger picture. But we're going to focus in on this first part here this morning, um, with the, the hope of healing. The hope of healing is a heart that is whole. A hope, the hope of healing is a heart that is whole. How many people in this room need hope? Either through lack or you just are like, man, I, life is pretty good, but man, there's something missing. I feel like there's, man, there's just a, something else that God wants. There's an area of my life where I'm, I'm, I'm feeling the anxieties. Whether, you know, like as Ben was saying this morning, politics, you know? How many people over the last few years have gotten kind of riled up into politics? You, we, we all know, we shared those posts on Instagram, right? Yeah, Facebook, yeah, right? We've, we've, we've gotten pretty passionate about certain things. And so even in our concept, our perspective of politics or or economics, or you know, relationships with family, or or even church family or friends have been really tried during these last few years. Have they not? Have they not? I think, as as Ben was saying, like we got our eyes off of who the Messiah really is, and I think that this is a time that God wants to bring the church back. He wants to bring us back to realize who is on the actual presidency of our country, who is the the president of presidents. Who is the senator of senators? Who is the, 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 the speaker of the house of the speaker of the house? Right? Who is the top dog? Who is our true God? And that's him. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. The King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he is the only place that we can find our hope. And so he is our hope. So the hope of our healing is a heart. That is whole. 
The word is shalom, peace, flourishing, wholeness. Life as God meant it and designed it and created it to be. And he desires all of us to experience that. That's why he prayed. As he taught us to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's a desire for shalom. It's a desire for flourishing in our lives, in our families, in our church, in his church. And so as we look at our passage here this morning, we're going to focus on, these, on this first section, probably you know, verse 16 uh, through 24 there, <clears throat> as hope. How is God, how did Jesus bring hope in Philippi? Well, the first thing we have to realize is that we are, we're seeing a spiritual battle. We're seeing a, a force, a battle between the forces of God and the forces of this world. And so we're seeing three malevolent powers. And that is a python spirit, or divination, as it's as is translated. Malevolent powers of profit, a.k.a. extortion, a.k.a. a love of money. And we're seeing three. We're seeing religious and political prejudice being, being played out. The, the combination of religion and politics, money, these are cultural power structures at war. And so when we... Tra- when we, when we uh, um, press up against these things. When Paul and Silas are, are opposing these, these power structures, Paul and Silas got it. They got the brunt of it. The, we, what we call the counterattack. They were stripped and flogged and jailed. They discovered what happens to those who challenge the powers of the world with the powers of the nature of Jesus, of the name of Jesus. This is probably why they waited and put up with the slave girl for several days. Because they knew they didn't want to poke the bear. They just wanted to exist underneath the surface, sharing the gospel, seeing people come to faith in Jesus, seeing life and flourishing happen. Um, and so finally they were, they were annoyed and they, and they pulled the trigger. They're like, no, this has to end. And we want to give freedom to this girl. And we'll talk about those things. So let's talk about the first one, the python spirit. <laughs> so in our passage here this morning... It says in verse chapter six, or verse 16, it said, A slave girl met us who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. But the word is actually, even in the Greek, is actually a name. It's a name. And the name is pythos. And it's a spirit of python. It's a python spirit. There's a lot we can talk about this, about this, you know, several different elements of this, but I wanted to talk through this because as we see, we are, we are butting up against Roman and Greek culture all over the Roman Empire. So everywhere that Paul and Silas and Timothy and, 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 uh, and Luke are going to go, they're going to butt up and going to face these gods, these deities, these demonic spirits everywhere they go. And so let's look a little bit into what this means for, for Paul and Silas and this girl here this morning. So in Greek mythology, this slave girl was known as what's, a, what's called an oracle. And so this is a prophetic voice a medium who has a spirit of the gods speaking through her with the ability to foretell the future, which is interesting. I'm like, hmm, how is that possible? Does only Yahweh know the future? Yahweh's there. He's seen all of time. He knew you were going to come to faith. He knew you were going to be here this morning. 
He lives outside of this thing that we call time, right? And so how does this Python spirit know the future? Well, let's look. The, the Python spirit was the epitaph. Um, this, is, this is from the, the, uh, the Passion Translation. This is from uh, Brian Simmons. He says that the Python spirit was an epithet or expression or avatar, someone possessed by a spirit of Apollo. So a Python spirit, Apithius, which is a title of, of, one, of the, one of Apollo's priests, was a Pithis, Apithius. This is an avatar for Apollo. And he was known as the god of prophecy. An individual, often a young virgin, who became, you know, became an oracle of Apollo was known as a Python or a Pythia in the feminine. So this girl is actually legitimately a Pythia. Her name, probably to them, is, oh yeah, that Pythia. They didn't know her as like the slave girl or by her name. They knew her as a Pythia, someone who was a voice for the god Apollo. Now, a python spirit is an expression of the powerful deity of Apollo. And I say it, and oracles were highly sought after by people who wanted to know the will of the gods. If you wanted to know like Athena and, and Zeus and, and, and uh, Poseidon, if you know the, wanted to know the will of the Olympus, you would go and talk to Apollo, his messenger. Which is also why a few weeks ago we talked about how Paul was, was confused with being Apollo. Because he was the mouthpiece. No, Hermes. Hermes. Just kidding. Erase that from your mind. My brain got confused. Crosshaired. Never mind. But this is not simply a demon. This is now a strategic level spiritual warfare going on, as well as ground level spiritual warfare. Now, if you, if you have been with us for a while, you'll, you'll, you might remember that uh, Peter Wagner says that there are three levels of spiritual warfare by which Christians, filled with the Holy Spirit, combat the powers of the enemy. We have the ground level spiritual warfare, which is this, like deliverance, individual person like looking for and praying over he- this person for healing or deliverance from a, from a demon spirit, from possession. This is Jesus's ministry all over the place, healing them of diseases and, and, and casting out demons, right? This is ground level spiritual warfare, one-on-one basis. Level two is your structural. So this would be like your occult level. This is like witchcraft and occult, new age, yoga, labyrinths, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. These are the occult level spiritual warfare that we're, that we're dealing with. They're more like structures, underneath the power, the, the kind of midway, like middleman, right? And then we see now strategic level spiritual warfare, which we've been talking about. This, these are the high level spiritual beings in the heavens. This, these are your, what are known as in the Old Testament, Elohim, spirits that were at the heaven, they're the heavenly council of Yahweh in Job chapter one and two. Also the sons of God in Deuteronomy 32 chapter, uh, verse eight. They are a higher level of spiritual being that is above the angels, but also below Yahweh and below the living creatures. But they are senior leadership. So that's what these things are called. We would know these, these entities as uh, territorial spirits. This is things like Queen of Heaven, Zeus. Like these are the high, you know, Baal, the, the structures that have power and control over entire regions of the world. So this is, this is both a a ground level delivering this girl from this demon spirit, but also fighting this territorial 
spirit known as Apollo. And so we're dealing with a high-level spiritual entity. Apollo, brother of Artemis, who is the, the, god, the patron god of Ephesus, who are the son and daughter of Zeus, who is known as and considered in ancient Greek mythology as the most high god. Consider, you know, and it's also, you know, he's under the Titans, so either referring to either, either Zeus himself or even Gaia or Uranus, Uranus, primordial gods, ones that gods that were there at the beginning who are uncreated. But most likely they're using this to refer to Zeus. So they're trying to, they're not saying, oh, we believe, you know, this, this demon spirit's not trying to say, oh, this is, these are followers of Yahweh, the actual true most high God, as it says in the Old Testament. But these were basically, these are, oh, people preaching the salvation, you know, of you know, the most high Zeus. So basically they're distorting their call. They were distorting already before the people had ever heard the gospel of Yahweh, of Jesus. They were already distorting it by making the whole, all the people think that they were prophets of other gods in the pantheon. So basically to belittle them, you don't necessarily need to hear, hear from them, I am better. Listen to my voice because I'm the direct voice of Apollo. These, are, these guys are just teaching you like how to, you know, some tricks of healing and, and salvation. Because to them, like salvation wasn't like a, like uh, for us, like a save salvation issue, like saving our souls from you know the wrath of God. For them, it was more like how do I have a live a better life? That's what salvation meant to them. What do you think salvation means to the, to those in our culture? What is salvation? I remember when when I was a, when I was in youth group, when I was a, a, a youth intern with my dad. There was a girl who uh, came back to youth group and she was like, I had a weird experience. I told my friend, you know, to believe in Jesus so that she could be saved. And she was like, saved how? Like from, or no, she was telling her friend, that's what it was. She was telling her friend, I just got saved. She's like, oh my gosh, would you like almost get hit by a car? She didn't know what that meant. Like saved, what do you mean saved? Right? For their culture, it was more like this concept of, of living, you know, of wholeness and, and healing and flourishing and happiness. And for them, that's what salvation meant was, was happiness and, and restoration of, of life according to their perspectives. So this future telling, this spirit of prophecy, these spiritual entities, remember this. So do they know the future? Like, can they see, foretell the future going on that, that will happen, like I see this person's going to get married to such and such and I see a blonde person or whatever it is. Can they actually see the future? No. But, like we, saw, like we talked about, these are very high and powerful spiritual entities. They don't, they don't know what the future entails because they foresee it. They foretell the future because they're going to create it. Because they're the gods of the culture. And they're the ones that actually create the future. Such as like things like, as today, the prophetic words of Sir Albert Pike in 1871 called the Three World Wars. Um, the, you know, the first two, this, this, in this writing, he wrote this again in 1871 about the Three World Wars and the first two came to pass exactly as he foretold. Why? Because this group of 
of people are controlling the world. And they created World War I, and they created World War II. And World War III has not yet happened, but the culture in which they say it will happen in is happening right now. Basically, the, the war between the state of Israel, remember, the state of Israel didn't exist until 1948, and he prophesied about it in 1871. <coughs> also, the word Nazism during World War II was coined in 1871 in this letter. So they created Nazism, and they've created the state of Israel, and now they've created this culture of Islam. That's, you know, that's, that the way it is right now is set up perfectly for the Third World War to take place exactly as Sir Albert Pike prophesied. Because like I said, they don't know the future. They, don't, they can't foretell the future, what will happen, but they create it. So that's what this oracle of Apollo is doing. This oracle of Apollo is the voice. She's actually possessed by a territorial spirit foretelling the future. So my question is, what prophet, prophetic words are you listening to in your life? Are you listening to the social media? Are you listening to Christ? Are you listening to the news? Are you listening to the, 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 the prophetic words from all the doomsdayers and the conspiracy theorists and their perspective of what will happen? Or are you saying, God, I believe and only believe what your future looks like? And no matter what happens, no matter if all this garbage actually happens, no matter if World War III happens exactly as is written about in the, the three world wars, no matter if that even happens, you, knew, you already knew. You were there before Sir Albert Pike even wrote it, even thought about it. You were there before any of this, any, any of this existed. You were there before America existed, and you'll be there after. You were there before all things, and you'll be there at the end. And so will I. Is that what you're saying to God? I will, where you are, I want to be also. What your future, what your prophetic word is for the future, I want that for my life. I want that for my family. We as your people will be there with you. We will be with you in paradise, as Jesus said to the thief on the cross. So those words echo for us today. Where I am, where I will be, you will be with me in paradise. We trust his prophetic words, not the world around us. Because even in our passage here today, but God. We can listen to all the social media and listen to the news and listen to family, listen to all these words about what's, what's happening and what's going to happen and what might happen. But God. But Jesus, our God, Yahweh, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, is the true Most High God. Amen? The true Most High God. Hence why Yahweh's name all over the Old Testament is the Most High God. The true Most High God. The Lord of armies. Or as in your King James, Lord of hosts. Lord of armies. This slave girl was telling the powerful truth that these men were indeed proclaiming to you a way of salvation. They are 
the servants of the Most High God. So the words that they used were true. They were true. And let, man, can you, that would be an amazing and powerful testimony of us. Amen? These are the servants of the Most High God here to tell you and preach the way of salvation. The way of hope. Man, let that be said of us. Let that be said of me. Let that be said of you. That you are a servant of the Most High God. Do you want that for you? Do you want that for your life? It's interesting to see that, that Paul and Silas were even operating in the same kind of vein as Jesus in this moment. Where when the demons would, would cry out Jesus' true identity, he would silence them and, and, and bring them out. You know, shut up, get out. Right? Because he didn't want people's perspectives to be distorted of what the gospel truly is. So the first thing we have is this, this malevolent spirit, this python spirit of divination. The second thing we're, we're butting up against here is the spirit of profit or exploit, exploitation, extortion. Because here's the thing, this woman was powerful. This woman had real power. I think oftentimes, maybe in our Western civilization, we're like, oh, that could be explained by science. So we like excuse all the spiritual stuff. We're like, oh, that's probably not really what happened. This girl probably couldn't tell the real future. Didn't actually have powers. Well, then what were these guys exercising? A spirit of ignorance? What were the exercise? A real deity, a real entity. And those entities are still alive today. We still have spirits and demons and Elohim, territorial spirits in our world, in our culture, and in our region today. I don't say that to like scare you or freak you out. I'm just telling you, like, be aware. Because we have a real enemy who wants to destroy you. He is like a roaring lion waiting to devour you, seeking who he can devour, seeing who he can bring into dissipation and to, and to make your life shipwrecked. He desires your death. He desires your depression and anxiety. Because even if he can't kill you, he wants you to make you ineffective. And even if he can't possess you, because if you're, if you're filled with God's Holy, if the Holy Spirit of, of Yahweh, if you are baptized and, and placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit within you. So you can't be possessed. You're full. You're already filled. No, ain't, ain't no room. The Holy Spirit is a fat guy. But this woman was really powerful, but she was still a slave in need of freedom and true salvation through faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. She was a slave both to physical owners for profit exploitation. And I said, I don't say profit because profit's not a bad thing. What I'm saying like here is it's more exploitation. They saw that they couldn't, they couldn't make profit off of her, which is exploitation. It's the unfair use of another human being with, you know, it's, you know, slavery. So she didn't really benefit from those things. 
And second, to her spiritual owners. She was spiritually possessed by the spirit of Apollo so that she could be under their control. What we are possessed by, what we are consumed by, controls us, whether it be spiritual or physical. Addictions. Because here, here, if we see anything about this passage here this morning, we see that people are willing to tolerate the gospel preachers and, these, and, our, and churches in our communities until it negatively, negatively affects their business, their, um, you know, their trade or their livelihood. Then they drag it out and accuse it in front of the whole culture and try and cancel it. Like I said, profit is not demonic. Exploitation is what's going on here for, of this slave girl for profit. Because here's the thing. She probably saw none of those profit, these profits that she got for all of her fortune telling. They went directly to her, to her you know, spiritual pimps. Like modern day slavery. I actually t- talked to a gentleman uh, recently that uh, was doing ministry in Las Vegas. And they watched this video and, and, and were trained in how to identify human slavery, which is going on right now all over our country. It doesn't look like you would think. Even from like the movies, like of Sound of Freedom and things like that, where you're going to these places and they're dingy and dirty and stuff like that. When we're talking about human slavery, we're talking like hookers that are dressed in Gucci with like a $500 hair job and makeup and shoes Prada, like these are, but they see none of those. They own none of them. So is the training that this guy got. They're highfalutin, very, very high dollar, but they're still slaves because the pimp owns everything, owns their car, owns their house, owns their clothing, literally owns the person. And this is why they, honestly, why, why it's so difficult for them to get out is because they own nothing, and they are their property, high-valued investments that people don't just let you walk away when you are the investment. And then if they do walk away and are able to escape, they've got literally nothing. Because everything from their head to their toe that they're wearing belongs to someone else. So to walk away with it would be theft of both their body and everything that they've got on them. This is why it's so difficult and challenging in our, in our culture today. The, the gospel gave this slave woman freedom through being healed, delivered from this demonic spirit. You know, and, and like, you know, they're no lo- she's no longer worth anything to them. I could see them like throwing her to the side. Like just, you know, you're done, right? You're on your own, you're free, but you're destitute. You got nothing, you don't have a home, you don't have a job, you don't have any money, you don't have any food, got nothing. And so I could actually see Paul and Silas being like, hey, we'll help you. Come and know this Jesus. Because remember, she experienced the greater power of the Spirit of God. Deliver her, suck the demon out of her. And now she's finally spiritually free and probably even socially and economically free. And so they come and they care and they take care of her. I mean, it doesn't say in the, in the scriptures, but I would, I, would, I would not doubt that that's what happened. Because that's the power of our God. That's the power of the grace and the gospel of Jesus Christ. To bring life where there's death. To bring freedom where there's slavery. 
And the final thing that they, the malevolent spirit that they bonded up with was religious and political prejudice. Like I said, humanity is always, it's not just a recent thing since COVID. Like you know, our, our world has constantly been and always been a cancel culture. The church, you know, in Christendom has just simply always been on the other side of the cancel culture for a long time. Now, now culture has taken over and put us on the other side, the other side of the cancel culture. Instead of the Christian culture canceling everything else, we are now being canceled. So my question here this morning for us, as we think about and we process through all these different things, like what, what do I have to do with this slave woman? What or who are you a slave to? Because we're all a slave to something. Every single one of us. We are slaves. Whether physical, like I said, drugs or alcohol, money or sex. Spiritual slaves to, you know, are we, are we slaves to demonic spirits, to the occult, to witchcraft, new age, yoga, meditation practices such as labyrinths and seances and tarot cards? Are we allowing and inviting an open, you know, opening the doors to these things in our lives? Or emotional, mental slave, slavery, wrong beliefs, or living and, and holding on to our trauma, the lies that we've told ourselves, the lies of identity of what, it, of what has been told to ourselves that we're holding on to. And here's the thing. We, we may be a slave to these things and not even realize it. Like I didn't discover until 2013 that I lived my life through the lens that I felt and believed that I was a worthless piece of crap that no woman would ever love or any man would ever respect. Like I said last week. That was the lens, but I didn't even know I had this lens on. And so I finally was like, no, I'm not going to be a slave. I tore off the lens. I said, no. And then I got married. <laughs> and now I'm a pastor. So... And so I get to, I get to, so what are we in slavery and bondage to that maybe we don't even realize that's keeping us in a state of bondage and blindness that we don't even realize? We don't even know we're a slave. So maybe the first question is, God, what am I a slave to? Because here's the thing, Romans chapter six, what then? Should we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? Absolutely not. Don't you know that if you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of that one you obey, either of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. All of us are a slave to something. Are we a slave to sin? Which remember, wrong thinking, unbelief, you know, wrong belief, the junk from the world that we're constantly bombarded with all the time, the values and the ethics of garbage? Or are we slaves of righteousness? Are we slaves of Christ? Are we, are we letting the water, you know, the washing of the water of the word wash us clean, rip that stupid lens off of our lives of lies and unbelief and garbage that maybe we even put our, put there ourselves? Are there things even that we feel are, are defensive mechanisms that we have put up that are lies? that we don't need those anymore. We don't need to protect ourselves because God is our defender. We can live our lives trusting him and entrusting him 
with our lives. And that's where we get our hope of healing. There are people in this world, in, in our region, in our city, and, and I dare even say that in this very room, that need hope. We need hope. Whether because it's because we are lacking and feel in the, in the throes of anxiety, depression, being, feeling lost, feeling confused, feeling worried, lonely. Like I said, the gods of this world, like the, like this, the one in this slave world, try to give false hope. They tell false futures from false gods. Maybe we are feeling this hopelessness because we're listening to the wrong God. We're listening to the wrong prophecies being spoken over us. The slave girl prophesied the enemy's false prophecies, but encountered real power and the grace of Jesus. How can the Holy Spirit use you for others in this world to encounter the real power and grace of Jesus? How can you be the one to show them what it looks like? Show them a life that is whole. Show them a life of healing. Show them a life of wholeness. Show them a life of joy. Show them a life of hope. How can the Holy Spirit use you for people in this world to encounter the true hope and freedom in Jesus Christ? Because in spiritual warfare between Jesus and these other you know, prophetic spirits and things, Jesus wins. He always does. We don't have to like exert ourselves. You, it's like it's like Jesus, like shut up and leave. If we encounter someone with a demonic spirit in our lives, in our in our households, we say shut up and leave, demonic spirit, or in the name of the Lord, I you know may the Lord rebuke you and get them out. I think we've lost the, the power and the, the realization that we need to be blessing and anointing one another. So I said, out of the same mouth come blesses and curses. Curses are still a thing, you guys. We can still curse one another by mocking each other, by belittling one another, by speaking words about them even behind their back that tear them down. Are we cursing or are we blessing? Are we a culture of honor? Or are we a culture of omission, a culture of cursing? Do we curse one another in our homes? What do we speak to our children? What do we speak to one another? Do we speak identity statements to one another that are curses? You dirty little... Or bless you in Jesus. You are good. You are beloved. I love you. You are my son. You are my daughter. You are my wife, you are my husband. Whatever it is, speaking life, speaking truth, speaking blessing to change the culture of your home. And maybe that's where we need to, we need to start. Maybe the, our home is the first place where we need to experience God's hope. 
God's hope, God's joy, God's blessing, God's presence. Because when Jesus wins, when God is made much of, when we bless one another, others win too. People in this world, people around us are blessed. The, the culture of our families shifts and is life-giving. When people come into our homes, though it may be a complete mess and, mess and disaster like my house is right now, people can come in and feel want, wanted and warmed and loved. They can sense the Spirit of God in that home. Is it a spirit of sadness? Or is it a spirit of joy? Who or what do you rely on for life and hope, you know, salvation, healing and wholeness? I said these men relied on, relied on this slave girl. The slave girl relied upon the python spirit. But Paul and Silas is, are, preach, are, t- are telling us and showing us this morning to rely on Jesus. Colossians 1 says, I have become its servant according to God's commission that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this mystery, which, like I said, in verse chapter uh, verse 26, has been hidden for ages and generations, but now is revealed. What is this mystery? What is it? Christ in you. The hope of glory. Can you look in the mirror every morning and say, wow, I see the hope of glory looking back at me. Because Christ is in me. Because God's Holy Spirit is upon me to preach good news to all. Can you say that? Can you look in the mirror and say, man, go forth in the name of Jesus and be the hope of glory. Let Christ in you be that hope for this world. Because the hope of healing, the hope of this world, the hope of of people's real restoration and healing is a heart that is whole, that comes from blessing, that comes from freedom, that comes from salvation, that comes from the presence of God's presence, God's Holy Spirit within us. The world needs hope. And we are the hope givers through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Amen. Amen. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this morning and we thank you, God, for salvation, true salvation, true hope, true joy, true life. And Lord, we pray that you would empower us with your Holy Spirit to experience it to experience the wholeness, to rip the negative, the, the false lenses of false prophecies off of our eyes, to rip the false lenses of false curses off of our eyes, false identities, and to gain healing, true healing, Lord Jesus. Bring wholeness to our body, soul, and spirit. Let us be whole in you, Christ Jesus so that we can bring wholeness to our, house, our households, to our places of work, to our city and our culture, our friends, and to the world around us, God. 
who is in desperate need of the hope that we have in the church. So let us be the hope of glory through you, Christ, who are in us. For it's in your precious and holy and powerful name we pray all these things. Amen.